0: But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Jr. That is me, with me as always. Super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Shit. Can't call it? Can't call it, brother. How about you? Yeah, I hear that right now. Uh, That's big Friday energy uh, from Brandon (laughs) Newman here. Rolling and clearly feeling great off uh, another Thursday night football spectacular uh, Mm -hmm, last mm -hmm. night. Dear God, the Patriots are unfun to watch. What a bad situation.
1: You thought that? I, I, I was... I felt like because of the Patriots, they were always in the game. It felt a little closer than the score suggested after half.
0: I actually felt the opposite where I felt like that was one of those where a one-score game or even one that was a 10-point game felt like it was never really in harm's way because you had, by the end of that game, Mac Jones on the sideline cursing out the rest of the offense, that clip of him that's gone viral saying, throw the fucking ball, the quick game sucks and freaking out. Like the most obvious thing that came out of last night was Bill O'Brien's return to the Patriots next year seems eminent because no one in Alabama wants him there as the offensive coordinator anymore it seems and everyone wow. in New England wants anything but their current situation and so their powers combined we are captain Bill O'Brien back to the NFL.
1: I'm actually thinking that there's a trade in the midst with Mac Jones and the Patriots. And maybe it's that article I read about Tom Brady possibly making his return to the <laughs> Patriots next year. But,
0: yeah. I, uh, at this point, I would be willing more to bet B.O.B. than Tom Brady, but for content purposes, I hope whatever Ooh. article you read is right, because that would okay. be fantastic. Um, we have what hopefully is the opposite of Thursday Night Football planned for you guys on this show today. Got to pre- The weekend slate of games, college and pro, is a banger. This should be A really solid one. We will get to a couple of rematches in conference championship weekend in college football. An NFL weekend that gives us a pseudo-primetime game by having Bengals-Chiefs in that 425 window, which means we'll get the end all by itself after the 4 o'clock window witching hours, or the 4 o'clock window ending is done. So a lot of really good stuff to tap into there. We've also got maybe our most... Unsurprising steroid find uh, in recent Sports Tangent history, Sad. and Christian Pulisic denying his destiny. But, Brandon, before we get to all the fun stuff here, we got to take our medicine on the front end of this. Uh, there's a couple things that you and I had not gotten to talk about yet uh, that I really wanted to get around to and... One of them uh, was made easy because when LeBron James does anything, all of our ears kind of perk up, which to some extent is the good that I can take out of this, even if I think that he, like a lot of other people, missed the larger point in what was being talked about with Jerry Jones. So Mm -hmm. um, for anyone that's unfamiliar, in the last really, I feel like a couple of weeks now, Uh, Jerry Jones and a photo of him out in front of North Little Rock High School near where he grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas was circulating um, him outside of a group of young white students protesting the integration of that high school um, back when he in 1957 when Jerry Jones is, I believe, 14 or 15 years old and that... picture circulating arounds made the rounds in the context for so many people of, you know, is Jerry Jones a racist? And is this right to be done to Jerry Jones? And it all culminated with LeBron James after a game the other night, stopping reporters saying, Hey, listen, guys, uh, I just have a question of why you haven't asked me about Jerry Jones. You guys have gotten up and asked me about Kyrie Irving so much. I just think it's funny how And kind of getting into a little bit of the whataboutism there, trying to make the point uh, that he did about how black athletes and players are framed versus their white counterparts, which in normal circumstances, Brandon, I think is always an interesting point worth considering. I think here the comparison misses the mark a little bit because the conversation about Jerry Jones isn't just about his portrayal as racist or not, in, in right, this particular right. setting, right? Yeah, it's not—it's not a Twitter binary conversation that we're having,
1: the way LeBron James may think it, it is, and want to put his two cents on that. Like, if that makes sense. Like the the photo a, as it's framed and how we're talking about it in the media isn't how it's being talked about on Twitter, and I think that's the conversation LeBron wanted to have.
0: Well, yeah, and. You know, again, I can understand that nerve point, right? Of looking and feeling like, and the other, you know, it's not an apples to apples comparison, right? LeBron James, I don't know how often he is just asked in post game press conferences about boilerplate first-take topics, right? Because Jerry Jones right. had been talked about on first-take in the week prior. It had made the rounds right. on various shows. I don't know how often LeBron's asked about that versus being asked about a guy who was his teammate and is his peer in the same league. So it's not necessarily apples to apples for the point he wanted to make there in front of the media either.
1: Right. Also, someone who was connected to joining that Lakers team during the offseason. And it's just it's just a basketball issue, uh, at right now, especially when it comes to, to race. And for LeBron James, I think my biggest issue with it is LeBron James is always ready to talk after a win. And I'm pretty sure that he was like pretty proud of that P- uh, Portland Trailblazers win that he had. So when he said, on the walk over here, I was wondering why you guys haven't asked, like, oh, yeah, because you are a little bit freed up because you, you feel the pressure off of getting actual win, now you want to play with the media a little bit.
0: Yeah, and you know what? The, I I like I don't even want to turn this into like a LeBron James criticism or really an over analysis more than we already have of his comments because what I like what I do believe is this is kind of a chance at a do over if we want to take it for a lot of people in the way they digested the story the first time around and I think there are a lot of people David Dennis Jr. and Dominique Foxworth on on Fox's podcast had a really good discussion about this. I saw Mina Kimes kind of refresh the Washington Post article that had this picture in it on the timeline to begin with and just encourage people to go back to that because having a conversation about what Jerry Jones does or doesn't feel and is hard or how much you have to have your 15-year-old self's actions held account 65 years later, those all miss the point of, the original Washington Post article by David Moranis and Sally Jenkins was about hiring practices in the NFL and how unconscious bias seeps into this in a way that affects that where we are now. And this is like an exhaustive article that sourced off of a two and a half hour interview with Jerry Jones talking about all of this stuff. And I feel like so much of the politicking about the picture is sort of hijacked the message of this, which is if you read the article, Jerry Jones, a guy who grows up in this context and tries to explain mm-hmm. away his position at that by saying he was curious and he was more worried about his football coach in high school who had told them he didn't want to see any of them near the front lines of that showing up being knuckleheads like whatever he explains away that brought him there is still part of the whole conversation around implicit bias. Like that was his context growing up there. And for a guy that as you go and listen to him, talk on the record in this conversation, clearly fancies himself, someone who pulled himself up by his bootstraps so much that when he spoke in front of a group of minority NFL coaching candidates about how he got, where he got referenced, Closing a deal by calling in a favor to get a tea time at Augusta National, and that being a way in a way that's so like wildly tone deaf, wow. given the environment there, that this guy is so deeply believing in the his own story, and in here talked about being the hero of his own story, that I think it really underscores the point that jerry jones may be carrying things with him that even he does not realize like he can Mm, believe that growing up the way he did working at his father's grocery store where he talks about being exposed to people that look different than him at a very early age that it can still have effects on him and the way he grew up in the context he grew up in still have effects on him that bring us all the way to you being one of the most important owners in the nfl who's got a poor track record of hiring minorities in important positions inside your organization.
1: Absolutely. And I, I, but I do think that that Jerry Jones may be holding something with him. Argument is why LeBron James has been forcing this conversation in the news, because in in all actuality and all reality, I think the way Kyrie Irving is being covered in the media has been triggering for some black people, people especially some black athletes, and obviously, we know it's warranted based on the things he said and did not say. But it does feel like a lot of the two two Americas conversations we have a lot. The other side of America, if we're talking the other side, being the the minority, the African Americans or minorities in general in America, just feel the need to try to protect. The the demonized in a way, and it gets us in trouble Uh, sometimes. I'm gonna say, I mean, not make blanket statements like that. It can get people in trouble by doing that, but that's why I feel like it's happening here because it's just a lot of hurt and pain around this issue that's coming up. And I think when it when this photo starts surfacing for around Jerry Jones, some people from our community, I can say was expecting that same sort of demonizing to happen with Jerry Jones. And like you said, it's a different context and for so many other reasons.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's the thing, right? Because most of us weren't shocked that Jerry Jones growing up in, you know, near little rock, Arkansas, when he did may have been involved in some of those activities, but it, it, having the conversation is right, but just boiling it down to is Jerry Jones racist or not kind of misses the larger context of this, which is, implicit bias, which is the thing that we always talking about, talk about where Jerry Jones might go out here and treat a lot of people who regardless of how they look very well in the body of his company now might still look at leadership positions and see white. And for a guy that in this article talked about his hiring practices for coaches over the years and said, quote, I didn't hire Jimmy Johnson through an interview. Did I, I didn't hire Barry Switzer through an interview. Okay. And I didn't want Denny green, who was, you know, they talked about uh, one of the few minority head coaches he almost hired through an interview. He said, but I knew him. And that's the whole point that gets made all the time is that this pipeline stuff or the notion of black candidates who have to spend comparatively more of their time in mid-level coaching jobs than their white counterparts, all of that is undone by... Just this proximity to the white owners making these decisions and this idea that it's not what, you know, Jerry says, it's not what you know. It's not the Jimmy's and Joe's or X's and O's. It's who you know. And all of that traces back to the things that you're raised around as a kid and finding yourself in the background of a photo like this. Yeah, he,
1: he doesn't understand that that is the rhetoric that is pushed in the circles that he's been in. And those have been traditionally circles that have been closed out for minorities. And yeah. I, I and I think it's it's important context to add, Mike. I'm li- going through Friday Night Lights and listening to the story about Booby Miles and his uncle, and to think about the fact that just generation separated with Booby Miles' uncle was unable to play high school football in Texas because black people just weren't allowed to play high school football in Texas at this time. Really, adds context for me in the sense of like how uh, things maybe I've taken for granted even in the sense of just what I've been able to do and how I've been able to build my life up. So I, I think it is important and it is triggering for a lot of people, but I do, I would wish that this isn't brushed under the rug, like so many other things that we feel like are what? offenses.
0: And I don't think it's been brushed under the rug. That's the one thing I will say is, like, it's been talked about everywhere, but we haven't seen it talked about. Well, but, like, it was predating LeBron James talking about it. People were talking about this on national platforms, but it was this boiled-down television conversation that doesn't talk about the heart of the issue, at least by and large. That's not what seemed to bubble to the surface or what people remember about this. Because this brings me back, like, it's exactly right. It's the stuff that you don't normally notice. It's the context that when Jerry Jones was growing up, they were just integrating schools. And that Jerry Jones is the meat of the bell curve age-wise for the owners that we see predominantly in the NFL. And I always go back. You and I have had this conversation before, and I remember you bringing up the example of saying, I would always rather know, hey, this house on the street is flying a Confederate flag. I know exactly where they stand. Because the obvious stuff is still dangerous but there's something about knowing versus the subtle stuff and that's what this feels like is if Jerry Jones can stand in front of a group of minority candidates and talk about hey you just got to work really hard and look at the way I worked really hard by calling in a favor that almost none of you are going to be able to call in to get me a tea time at Augusta but that's so deeply ingrained in him that he doesn't realize what he's saying is limiting then there's also reason to believe that Jerry Jones may carry some things with him some of that in bias that's going to affect the way that he looks at leadership positions in his team. And this is a guy that openly acknowledges Because we are the Dallas Cowboys, we could be leaders on this front in a way that influences the rest of the league. He firmly Mm. understands the power that he has, and now he professes a desire to be a part of the change on this. You can question whether that is motivated by a desire like anything else to always boil down to what's the best business tact for us here and now, but that is someone who has openly stated that. And so, again, if he's still got a bunch of things he may not even realize about the way he carries himself at this point as an almost, what, 80-year-old man, then that's really what's at the core of this. And I thought a really good job was done, again, by the folks at the Washington Post. And I hope maybe the best reading of this with LeBron bringing this up in the last round is more people will go back to the source material and see, okay, the next time we have a coaching hiring cycle come up and we talk about the way the Rooney Rule doesn't work and the plight of minority candidates that we'll consider more when people say implicit bias. No, you were given a really detailed example that traced back to this person and their young life and the events that may show the context of the decision-making that's going on now and how there's connective tissue all the way through for that stuff and that that's an opportunity because someone like LeBron James brought it up, even if this wasn't the full intention, to go back and maybe do a little bit more of the work with this and spend time with something that is going to continue to be important in this league. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: But I think something else that's going to continue to be important in this league is incorrect comps. And I think we do need to continue to just be careful with it, Mike, because the argument that LeBron James wanted to make could have been made without bringing up Kyrie Irving's name or his situation. And I think as soon as he did, it muddies the water for the point and, and critique how Kyrie was handled.
0: Yeah, it's it, whataboutism tends to rob both things that are being compared of a lot yes. of their yes. like inherent value in a way that usually undermines the point that's trying to be made. I'm 100% with you on that. And so uh, hopefully that'll be the case. Again, everyone, really encourage you. David Moranis and Sally Jenkins wrote a hell of a piece. The Washington Post was doing a series on this. There's some really powerful essays on what people have experienced as a part of the minority hiring process in the NFL right now, and this is just part of the context from that. So this doesn't have to turn into some ultimate ruling on Jerry Jones or what we're allowed to legislate from somebody's past. It's a bigger part of a whole that tells a pretty compelling story. Um, Brandon, the other big thing that's uh, getting ready to happen this weekend is we mentioned it the other day, Deshaun Watson is getting ready to play football again. The Cleveland Browns are going to play the Houston Texans, which we know the NFL reportedly did not want to happen. They wanted a 12-game suspension so they would avoid those optics. It got you know, bought back down to that. So read into it however you will. The NFL has not earned any sort of benefit of the doubt as far as how nefarious that feels. But regardless, that's what it's going to be. And so this is one of those things, Brandon, in a weekend where – it's going to be really important how we, everyone that's a part of the media machine covers this, how the crew that's on the game covers this, because this is the story with Deshaun Watson coming back, is making sure that this, and it, man, it, it feels, I think, even more like, timely to say this given what we just came off of with the conversation around Hugh Freeze where how the messaging around something like this matters a lot in the way the public is going to receive it where we just went through with Hugh Freeze someone trying to soften the edges on all the impropriety they had been involved with through media people going out and trying to basically do a lot of that in the way that they talked about it with this with Deshaun Watson it is not him overcoming something. This is not some, you know, him coming back from missing time due to injury or mm-hmm. something that, like, he was missing time for an 11 game suspension for violating the league's personal conduct policy by committing sexual assault, sexual assault as defined by the NFL on massage therapists. Like, that was the ruling in the NFL's summary report of this was that in the cases they looked at, they believe they had enough evidence to say he did this and they suspended him those football games because of that. And so it's just, remind everyone here, like in case you have forgotten, in case the 11 weeks, 12 weeks that he was gone, It has, you know, not come up. Like this is the context that Deshaun Watson is walking back onto football. He was accused by more than two dozen women of sexual assault and other sexual misconduct during massage uh, sessions over the course of a couple-year period. Two grand juries in Texas did not pursue criminal charges against Watson earlier that year, which opened the door for NFL teams to start the bidding war for his services. There are still two civil lawsuits that are outstanding. One was filed on October 13th earlier this year, and. Watson settled 23 of the other lawsuits that had been filed against him. He had to pay a $5 million fine as part of a settlement between the NFL and the PA. And he had to undergo a mandatory treatment program. Um, Now, Brandon, as far as this game, also uh, Tony Busby, the lawyer and Houston attorney who represented 25 of the women said about 10 of those women are going to be attending Sunday's game. And, This is because I'm sure there's going to be a rush of people that don't want to talk about this again and people that if they are Browns fans that want to celebrate their team having the potential to be good or just football fans who want to dive into the weekend and not have to reckon with this. That is just not something that we can do at this point because this is someone whose presence is already for a lot of people watch who have connections in their life one way or another to sexual assault or just view that rightly as a bad thing are going to see his presence on the field and immediately be brought back to that whatever their worst version of that pain is and so being mindful in the way that we talk about all this and being fair to all of those people is incredibly important because we're not at a point where we have seen any sort of like when we talk about this idea of you know and I heard I This is the first entry point back. Those women Mm. are going to that game as a reminder, like we're still here. None of this just went away in 11 weeks. Deshaun Watson is not all of a sudden absolved. It's not washed in 11 weeks. These are still real people whose lives will continue to be affected by this long after what inevitably is going to happen in this situation, right? We know inevitably enough football is going to happen and if Deshaun Watson returns to form, enough good football is going to happen that it is going to go back to being talked about his ability and the things that he does for that team. Like That is what we know comes with the territory here. We're all, like, we all play a part in that. And eventually all of our jobs are to talk about the football part of this. But in the meantime, that is a backdrop. And I don't know if that's going to get talked about in the broadcast or not. I don't have a lot of high hopes in that regard for them mentioning that, the you know, the the women who were a part of this and the women who alleged this sexual assault are going to be in the building. I'm not really sure how I how much confidence I have in a television crew trying to fit that into a game. Well, these
1: booths try to contextualize the game and talk about all the different things that are narratives that are surrounding it, Mike. And I just feel like that is one that can't be ignored, that shouldn't be ignored. I don't know what what benefits the NFL in a sense of narrative wise of what they feel like should be pushed and what shouldn't be pushed or what buzzwords can't
0: be said. Oh, I'm sure if you're the NFL, you would like this talked about as little as possible. If you're the NFL, I'd imagine you want the football to take over like Novocaine and just numb all of this because you believe you've got the product. Like That was what was at the heart of all of this and him being re-signed was everyone involved believed the American addiction to football would eventually wash away all of the initial pain and all the initial nerve damage of Deshaun Watson being given a fully fully guaranteed contract to be the face of a franchise.
1: Well, like Michael Smith brought it up uh, at the end of the Amazon Thursday night broadcast that Deshaun Watson took questions Wednesday for the first time, but only football questions because he's trying to stick to football and focus on football. And that's the biggest issue, Mike, is that his victims can't switch and focus on football. As a fan of football, I am afraid of how soon I might move on. Like, I'm afraid uh, to be mesmerized by the football and forget. I know I, I won't, but I this is such new territory that we don't know how we will react. And I'm a little bit fearful or skeptical or concerned with the narrative around Deshaun Watson even after the, as you mentioned, good football is played.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I think you mentioned what Michael talked about. One of the things that he said that I think was important was he was reinstated, not rehabilitated, right? Like he is... Yes. Required to have mandatory counseling and treatment. Michael, Michael reported that he was going to continue with that, that apparently he has a really good relationship with his counselor. All these different things. But, again, he didn't show his work. He chose not to answer questions about this at this juncture, which means at some point we're still going to need to hear that because we have no idea if he, like, the last time we heard him talk, he still maintained that he had done nothing wrong. Like a person Mm -hmm. was going through this process who at the start told us they did not believe that they had done anything wrong. And so you don't get to, like there's no, like we talked about, This isn't overcoming, this isn't some redemptive narrative, there's none of that baked in this because there has to be actual contrition, there has to be someone that actually goes and atones for and does the work on getting better and if you don't believe you had something to get better from here, you don't get credit for that on the back end, you shouldn't get credit for that on the back end and just because you have an incredible ability on the other side now, like again, he's going to be on the field, we're going to talk about it, I, I I heard Mina and Dominique talking about this the other day, and Brandon, I would say that we do have some indication of how to go about this, right? Because we have dealt with things like this off the field recently with Tyreek Hill, with Joe Mixon, with players who we talk about all the time because they have spectacular ability, but I also don't think, and this is just kind of how I've approached it, is It does need to be celebrated. Like, I can talk about the accomplishments of these men and what they do on the football field while acknowledging that the things that they have been linked to and accused of off the field – prevent me from going out there and celebrating it because I'm always cognizant that there are people that are going to be affected by that. And I can talk about this in a way that both acknowledges what's happening, that can talk about that in the larger football context and how they affect the game. I mean, hell, with Tyreek Hill, we have talked about his effect on that offense, borderline MVP candidate at wide receiver there without necessarily having to sound super excited about it every time. Because again, some people are going to look at that and only see and feel the worst pain that they they've ever known through what that person has been accused of. And in some cases, even more than that. And so I I think, especially now, like, You don't just get to stuff this under the rug. This isn't a time where everyone gets to feel comfortable. This is an uncomfortable situation. We should bear the weight of that feeling right now. And just because people might not want to hear about it, doesn't mean that it shouldn't be talked about, especially this weekend and especially as a part of that broadcast, because there is a responsibility, especially for that broadcast crew, how it gets framed on that game and how it gets framed by the people on the pregame shows and on the half like all of those things things are going to for a lot of people watching set the table for how they feel and discuss about that going forward everyone is taking their like part of what we do in this job i think is for people who have other lives right who have people who have a day job that is outside of the world of sports who have don't have the time to go and spend as much time as we do with all of this part of our job is to go and kind of curate the things and like we'll do with games that we talk about coming up we'll right. say hey here are a few important things to pay attention to because i in my job spend my time looking at all this, and so I'll give you a couple of places to put your eyes that might make it a little bit more of an enjoyable experience this weekend. The job is to sort of set the table there and create the conversation. I always said, if people walk into a party and steal something that I said on a show and pass it off as their own, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So in this case, with something comparatively, far more important, because every time I've ever covered something like this on a radio show, every time I've ever covered something like this on a game could and should spend more time making sure you get a subject like this right than what a team does on third down right. Because this is going to affect how other people talk about this because, again, people are waiting to see, all right, what is what are the people that have spent more time? What is an opinion or what is a thing that I can kind of feel about this as I shape my opinion? And that's why what people do say this weekend is going to matter a lot on this front. And just acknowledging it to start is such a huge uh, part of that.
1: I do want to say that the difference is, and like you said, the dangerous in comparisons and comps, the difference is we haven't seen the magnitude of this, of the victims. We haven't seen the magnitude of uh, habitual treatment and and also the lack of remorse that he's not even trying to to, to, to feign. Uh, But outside of that, Mike, it's a quarterback. Yes. And it's a quarterback who had the most passing yards in the NFL in 2020. And – I think all the, the all these extra variables that seem like ancillary and like don't really matter, I think all those things magnify this situation to a point where like we don't know and I'm going to be taking note. I think that's the only thing to remember for me. I, I want to sit back and take note of how everything is being discussed.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Brandon, I think that's an understandable tact, and you're right. This is a quarterback who was also given a record-setting NFL contract, and the message of all of that, what that message sends to so many people tends to be none of that mattered to the NFL enough for someone to not go and give him that, and so... Starting, like you said, in in how we approach this, the very least everyone can do going into this weekend is be cognizant that there are people who this is really going to be a challenging weekend for who watch this. And they might not be the majority of sports fans who just want to go and bury their head, but they're there and they matter. And the least that you can do going into this weekend where we've got a ton of good on-field football that you can enjoy is be cognizant of the feelings of a group of people that are going to be deeply affected by this person's re-entry onto the football field for all the reasons. That we just mentioned. So that's a to me the baseline of the baseline of where this can start is talk about it and be understanding in the way that you talk about it don't just all of a sudden forget all these things that we mentioned because they happened and they happened very recently this isn't again to borrow from the Hugh Freeze conversation this isn't a distant past that we're talking about this isn't some Mm -hmm. far away far off place this is in the last couple of years that we've watched all this play out on the biggest stage that we've got in sports um Oof, so I I, I know it's I know it's a lot for a Friday man Ooh. I know I know it's a lot for everyone on a Friday but like we said this is important this stuff matters a lot more than what's going to happen between the lines uh, on the field for any game this weekend even though now we are going to talk about the games that are coming up this weekend and all right guys let's talk about Jagermeister. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Uh, Brandon, both between college and pro, bangers this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Like, out and out heat.
1: Um. Okay, okay, bangers, yes, but are they
0: important bangers? Because I think there's a difference. Oh, I think there's a lot of important bangers this weekend. So, like, okay. we can start off college football this weekend, conference championship nice. weekend. Vitally important in a lot of these games. We know there are some, right? Like, like I, what? Like, like uh, Brandon, I'm getting okay. there. Like, okay. I know in okay. the, like the Michigan game doesn't really matter. We don't expect a very close result there. The Georgia LSU game. Georgia is a 17 and a half point favorite in that game. We don't expect a dramatic result there, but. They're still conference championships. And then you've got the couple that I wanted to highlight. We have the Pac-12 championship coming up tonight in Vegas, USC and Utah, a rematch of a game earlier this year that USC lost. And USC is the one team, if they lose, I believe is firmly knocked out. Like there is no ifs, ands, or buts. If they get a second loss to the same team that they lost to already, they're going to be out of the tournament here as they sit in the four spot right now. And so... That one's a USC's a two and a half point favorite in that game. And the last time these two teams played, they got at so they were up f- two touchdowns to start this game. They spent the majority of the first half of this game up two scores and keeping Utah at bay. And Utah did the Patriot thing where they flipped it in the middle eight, the last four minutes of the first half, the first four minutes <laughs> of the second half, where they yeah. managed to score in a two-minute drill before halftime and then score in the first drive coming out of the second half because Dalton Kincaid, their tight end, Beat the ever loving dog shit out of the entire USC defense essentially by his damn self. Like, oh, 16 catches for 234 yards.
1: Okay, Mike, what type of body is this tight end? So I can envision. Th-
0: um, Pretty big, pretty big body. Uh, I don't know this, like height and weight offhand, but like Michael Mayer, but maybe even a little bit taller. I'm sorry. We don't have to go there. I yeah. just want to
1: know the type of body that was that was this. I don't know. Google
0: his name. <laughs> okay. I,
1: <laughs> you know uh, how I am with names.
0: Utah tight end. Go ahead. Dal- Dalton Kincaid. Um, okay, but, yeah, I, I think, Brandon, the biggest thing here to me is looking back because – I think so much of Caleb Williams and the Heisman conversation is people paying attention to a couple of games recently, right? It's UCLA, it's Notre Dame, it's back-to-back ranked games, it's back-to-back rival games. It was easy spots for everyone to go in, and we see this guy, and we're like, oh man, Heisman moments left and right. This guy's going to win the award, and there might be some propensity to think, oh, well, you know, what was it like before? He's been doing this all year. If you go back to this game against Utah, the first four plays are Caleb Williams doing three of the coolest things I've seen all season. It's Caleb Williams doing the Zach Wilson jets throw in a fucking game and almost nailing it. Like his receiver dropped that roll to your left and throw the ball like an absolute maniac back across your body type thing. So he's been doing this. And in that game, Brandon, I just look and I think, all right, on the other side, like – You got Cam Rising, mobile, experienced quarterback, really good college quarterback for Utah, and that great tight end, who are both walking into this one banged up. Like Cam Rising's got an undisclosed injury he's been dealing with. Dalton Kincaid missed the Arizona game with a shoulder injury. And so if those guys are compromised a bit and you've got a USC team that I think's gotten better as the year's gone along, because remember, it's year one. Every week is so vitally important in your development when it's year one in a program that was this transfer heavy as they were and so when you combine that with all the playmaking ability for Caleb Williams I think USC manages to pull this off that was also a true road game really hostile environment uh, at Utah when they played that game and so I I think that also matters in how this might play out at the end and I think USC wins and I think USC covers
1: I hope so Mike because the last thing we want is I love a spoiler alert you know that but I don't want to see USC
0: needs to be in the in the final
1: four. I need I, we need to see a Heisman candidate in the final
0: four. I would love to see that like because as it shakes up right now too, you would get the Heisman candidate going up against George's defense which Ooh. I I want to see how high this thing climbs. I Caleb Williams is excellent. Is I mean truly fantastic, what? but George's defense is the standard right now. And so it would just be fascinating to watch. I hear you Mike, but I'm also I would love to see that USC – I
1: would love to see Caleb Williams against Michigan's defense because Michigan's defense is even better this year than they were last year. Like, it would be bad
0: They were, but I still don't think they're Georgia's defense. Okay, that's true. Okay. I just I, – I think that Caleb Williams, who will likely win the Heisman going up against right now the program that is at the top of the sport by pretty much all estimations, would be incredible theater. And I think it's going to be enough in this game. Like, USC's defense definitely struggled with tempo and a mobile quarterback. Those were things that Notre Dame was not going to be able to provide in that game for a lot of different reasons. But um, I, I think if – Cam Rising is, if you're dealing with both parts of that pretty banged up walking into this, I've got some questions there. Uh, the other one, this weekend, Brandon, rematch-wise, is in the Big 12. That's where College Game Day is going to be. Uh, TCU in Kansas State at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. This is the 11th time the Big 12 title game has had a rematch of a regular season game. And of the 10 previous times, the winner of the first game won six of them. So, TCU was the winner of this one in the regular season. They are also a 2.5 point- Favorite in this game, and this was also their biggest comeback of the year. Brandon, they were down 18 points in the first half of this game before mounting a comeback, and so this was where we started to believe that TCU might just be able to MacGyver their way through this season. If you're a fan of the Gojo podcast,
1: then you're a fan of sonny Dykes uh, because he was on the podcast yesterday, and Max Dugan. So, like, that's another Heisman hopeful, and I'm I'm eating the narratives right now. So, I, I really do. I'm, I'm pulling for TCU to be in the natty. I'll
0: say that. I like both of these teams a lot. I got to cover Kansas State Kansas a couple State. of times this season too. This like yeah. What Chris Kleiman has done in the Big 12, I think has been largely lost as we've had so many new names come in. Dave Aranda getting his team to the Big 12 championship last year at Baylor. What we've talked about going on with, um you know, At Kansas and what they've been able to do there, what we were talking about with TCU this season, Chris Kleiman's done a really good job coming over, following up a legend in Bill Snyder at Kansas State, having this team be as potent as they are. And this game, too, Will Howard's been on a tear lately, Adrian Martinez, the uh, former Nebraska quarterback had been the quarterback for most of the season for Kansas State. He had gotten injured as of late, actually got injured, um, and, and has been done since the Baylor game that I called of theirs. Will Howard got action in this last game. Adrian Martinez was knocked out pretty early the last time these two teams played. So they're familiar with a quarterback who I think is a better passer down in and down out than Adrian was, even if he doesn't offer you the run game threats there. And I think one of the most important things for TCU, and we talked about this last week when I called their game against Iowa State, that was the only real blowout we've seen from them in a while. This tends to be a team that plays games really close. Because it got out of hand so early, Kendra Miller, who is their star running back, he's third in the Big 12 uh, in yards after contact this season, and Quentin Johnston, Mm -hmm. who is going to be a first-round wide receiver, is a 6'4 mutant at that position – Both of them came into that game banged up off the Baylor game the week before, and both of them did not have to play much at all in that game. We saw them briefly in Mm. the first quarter, and then they were gone for the most part and so you got to rest those guys essentially an entire game because your team went out and took care of business early in that one hearing good reports out of the week about them talking about Quinton Johnson who I think when healthy is the most important weapon in that offense because of what he forces defenses to do you can go all the way back to the Kansas game to kind of see that tree bear fruit but I think for that reason, man, like Kansas State's a real salty out. Both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Felix Anyadike yazama on their defensive line is the Big 12 defensive lineman of the year. Really productive, rangy athlete. Um, but, I, I, again, I, I like TCU on this one. Two-and-a-half-point favorites. I, I think this is a team that is firing on all. So they got two really good corners, too. Josh Newton and uh, Travius Hodges-Tomlinson, who is – uh Ladanian Tomlinson's nephew uh in that defensive backfield oh, who damn. Is kind of the name there but his counterpart also yeah LT's back there on like the board he's super involved uh uh in TCU athletics but his nephew on this team is a baller of a cornerback and they've got a pair of good ones uh there in this game as well that I think have really shined in the couple of outings that I've seen from them this weekend um or this season excuse me uh NFL wise Brandon that game uh, is you mentioned oh Oh, the Big 12 well, Championship just, game say, is Saturday. Yes.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah. What's up? what's 11 central?
0: Uh, that's 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that game. By the way, that game um when I was at ESPN, ESPN supplies the talent for um the Dr. Pepper halftime show. And for the last three years, the Big 12 championship game had been the Dr. Pepper halftime show that I had hosted. I believe this is public. If not, you'll find out Saturday. Um, Jason Fitz, our good friend in front of the podcast, getting the call up there, going to crush it. Fitzy, who's also getting ready to host an ESPN radio show with Harry Douglas that's going to kick ass in the middle of that lineup. Very excited for both of them, but very excited for Fitzy to go down as a guy who spent most of his life in country music in front of big crowds. He's going to be in his element.
1: Hey, I think, I, I don't know Harry Douglas as well as you do, but I think we need to do a four wide with uh, two country music lovers like yourself
0: and then two guys that rep Louisville. Yeah, hey, listen, I can say Louisville Athletics Hall of Famer, Harry Douglas uh, at your Crazy. service, man. So yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have to get HD over here. One of the absolute best. Those guys absolutely rock. Um, uh, NFL this weekend, Brandon, you mentioned stakes in some of these games. I I think a fair amount across the board. Uh, The three that stuck out, Tennessee at Philadelphia, Miami at San Francisco, and Kansas City at Cincinnati. Like, Mm. you want to look at all of these, man. The Philadelphia defense, especially the rush defense that we've talked about, going up against Derrick Henry in this game seems pretty damn compelling. Now, Philly's four-and-a-half-point favorites in this game, and Tennessee's D-line is pretty banged up. Like, one of the biggest takeaways in this Kind of affects the Cincinnati and Kansas City game too from last weekend. The Cincinnati offensive line kind of starting to come together a little bit. Like, yeah, Tennessee is banged up. Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons both did not practice two days this week. So I don't know what their status for the game is going to be this weekend. Both have missed time, or Jeffrey Simmons has missed time already this year. But still, the Cincinnati D line that gave up like nine sacks to those guys in the playoffs last year. Wholesale change, all guys that brought over and struggled to start the season when Cincinnati came out the gate only gave up one sack in that last game to a really good Tennessee Titans D-line and just in general watching the game they looked like they had their stuff together a lot more one-on-one efforts and pass bro. they were seeing the stunts and games a lot better they were aware like so yeah. much of passing off stunts and games as an offensive lineman I think is being aware of the tells situations when they might come looks when they might come understanding spots where you've got to set and give yourself a little more depth so you can pass those things off and all of that starting to show up I think in large Part because that group has been healthy on the field together for a lot of time this season. Like continuity matters a lot. And we always said that group was coming together. They were almost all free agents or draft picks that they slid into new spots. And so that was going to take time. And that time appears to have worked.
1: Yeah, no, that was going to be my point, Mike. This is that there's a transfer portalness to this offensive line that uh, not another bunch of other NFL offensive lines are dealing with. So uh, was it Karis? Seems to be the the one Teddy uh, Karras
0: who was motherfucking the Titans crowd after they beat him.
1: Exactly, like he seems to be the the one at, at the at the helm there. So it is exciting, especially since we know how dangerous Joe Burrow individually can be in the playoffs, and with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase coming back, and Hayden Hurst reading newspaper clippings. Like I I want to believe. In the Cleveland, in like what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. But I think against the Kansas City Chiefs and that defense that is damn good itself, like really, really damn good, like they were great last week and was like, we need to be better. Like, I think this is just, uh, this is gonna help the Bengals get ready for the playoffs. But outside of that, I really just think this is a, a chalk game for
0: Kansas City. It's one of those dangerous ones because we know how Steve Spagnola, their defensive coordinator, likes to live. And last time on Mm -hmm. Dragon Ball Z, we saw Jamar Chase beat them to sleep because they wanted to play one-on-one outside while they sent the house. But, like, this is a big George Karloftis, Frank Clark, Chris Jones game Mm -hmm. because you've got to be able to go out there and get wins up front in the way that Tennessee's D-line was not. Because Joe Burrow is kind of also – like. This is going this game is going to go a long way in what I think could be a big Joe Burrow MVP narrative conversation. I still think it's Pats award to live, but I I think we've spent so much of the season talking about Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa because people love arguing about them. Joe Burrow hmm. played a really good game last week did it without a lot of his weapons, and now is going to have a pseudo-primetime game. And I think this 425 window kind of creates that opportunity, is going to have that kind of matchup against the best team in football, or one of the best teams. No, I'll say, I think Kansas City's the best team in football right now. Um, yeah. and so they're going to have that matchup. And if Joe Burrow goes out and performs again, he is going to dominate the news cycle of this upcoming week, especially if they actually manage to pull this off. I'm with you. I think Kansas City wins this game just because I think Mahomes is playing at that kind of level right now. I think when Juju's on the field, they've also been really potent. But to your point, Joe yeah. Mixon back at practice uh out of the concussion protocol or hopefully getting out of the concussion protocol for them. Jamar Chase gonna be back after dealing with that hip injury. Uh, So lots to keep an eye on there. But that Cincinnati team starting to get things rolling. Their defense also gave Tennessee hell up front, which is why I'm really interested in that Philly game too. Because Tennessee gets Ben Jones back at center this week, but might lose Nate Davis at guard this week in the middle of an offensive line that outside of like a big screen pass to Derrick Henry, kind of got punched in the mouth by that Cincinnati defense last week. And And, I mean, no, no, no. And outside of a hustle
1: play, but I don't forgot which wide receiver. That would like they still. I'm gonna say Derek Henry didn't cross the the line with the football in his hands. I say yes. that like yes. it was like the defense still was like no, y'all ain't getting in.
0: I, I appreciate the defensive player in you that points out that no, that ball got punched out at the goal line, and you get <laughs> you had a great hustle play. Absolutely right, absolutely right. But yes. and all of that does bring so the Eagles better offensive line than Cincinnati's that the Titans are getting ready to go up against. So good they were able to put out a Christmas album and dunk on everyone in the process still. Coming off a 360-yard rushing performance the week prior. And then also on defense, they made all these investments getting Linval Joseph and Ndamukong Sue. and they also look like they might get Jordan Davis back this weekend. He's been back at practice. Apparently he's down like 20 pounds, feeling good, living right, been focusing on his cardio and shit. And so... I I think across the board, Brandon, the one thing, and we have talked about this with this defense and their coordinator is making the front situation a little more variable. Cincinnati did the five-man front thing that Philadelphia has done, but they also mixed in a bunch of other stuff. They rolled safeties down in the box. Their defensive backs tackled really well in the box against Derrick Henry when they created a numbers advantage, and so you just got to mix it up enough, but getting Jordan Davis back might also be part of that medicine. In the middle of what's now a pretty deep interior D-line rotation, going up against the Titans offense that I think – is a bit limited in what they can do around Derrick Henry, even against – like this will be a huge test right. for this defense because the week prior they got humbled a lot on offense, I think Tennessee did.
1: Yes, and I'm starting to believe in this DVOA, which Tennessee ranks first in uh, for, on defense. I, I There's something about that Tennessee team, because there's not a, a clear reason why they're just beating people, they're scary. And they've always been this way with Mike Vrabel.
0: Yes. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Well, I would say
1: always because they, you know, they used to have weapons and AJ Brown, who is now with the Eagles. But like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're scary because they're they're good, and you can't really put a finger on exactly.
0: How, why they're that good. They throw big post routes to Traylon Burks now, who is trying to reprise the, bro- the role of A.J. Brown. And then yes. Derrick Henry can still find holes and hit them and be dangerous enough, even if the offensive line's a little banged up inside. Derrick Henry is that good. So that's why you're exactly right. You know, you've know, you got MacGyver as your head coach uh, and Mike Vrabel also. Uh, the other one, Brandon, Burks Miami. Burks the one
1: that, that's, that's jumped on that. That, was, that made the hustle play, by the way.
0: Yes, I can say Traylon Burke's yeah. starting to really round into form in the middle of the season. He was a guy who off season it didn't it, it didn't all feel great there. He was, you know, getting himself into shape. There were some complications there, but starting to play really good ball now. Uh their you know top pick or one of their uh higher picks out of Arkansas. Um uh, Brandon, the other one, uh Miami at San Francisco. Like Woo. Seeing two different versions of a similar offensive tree is going to be fascinating in this game. And for Miami's defense or Miami's offense, excuse me, probably the stiffest test you've had at defense so far. Just thinking about like without having the schedule in front of me, yeah. the way the 49ers defense is playing right now, going up against one of the best, if not the best vertical passing attacks in the NFL.
1: It's very exciting, Mike. Like I'm, and I, Outside of the narratives around Mike McDaniel's, like going back to his, to his team for the first time, like he's been so good that you don't have to like gas up that narrative as much. But Kyle Shanahan and and him going against each other for the first time, like that's the, it was the Monday Night Football game. It was the Mike Tomlin versus Jeff Saturday. It was like the coach matchup that uh, that got me to the game. It's the coaches that are going to bring me to this game, and obviously
0: the the players on the field are even better. <laughs> right. Like it's- it, 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 fr- fr- freakish. And it really is a, a styles make fight thing because we talked about it. Tenants of the offense. Mike McDaniel was there last year, but we know for the 49ers, it's a yak team. They get a ton of yards after contact. They have a lot of east west routes, a lot of stuff going across the middle of the field that gives you a ton to look at on defense for Miami. It's big shots down the field. It's wide open spaces. It's not a ton of yak stuff for these guys based on how they want to run that offense. And so you know you've got two of the premier deep threats in the NFL in Waddell and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. You've got Debo Samuel and George Kittle and I think Christian McCaffrey's a little banged up this week. But all of these jack of all trades pieces in the 49ers offense. And so the San Francisco defense probably the difference in this game, Brandon. Like I think Miami keeps this really close. I think the 49ers defense, though, far superior to what Miami's had on that side of the ball. If you're looking for a unit to p- probably decide it, it'll be whatever the Miami defense is able to muster.
1: Exactly, Mike, because they make plays in the fourth quarter like I've seen no other defense. And it's been pretty impressive the way – it's a, the opposite of what you've seen from the Ravens. Uh, but to, to see that against Jimmy G, who is prone to make mistakes – once, once someone like goes and embeds themselves in his head, like it is very, like this is one of those games that could have been Sunday Night Football game, and it, you know, oh yeah, it's at the same. It's that same matchup. It's, it's that same like level
0: of intrigue. Oh yeah, I said one of the most intriguing games of the weekend. The team that right now in the NFC everyone is talking about is maybe the most dangerous. The 49ers have been one that we talked about a bunch with Dad on this podcast last week, and then the Dolphins who have been part of the class of the AFC all year long and have been blitzing people on offense. So this game is going to hopefully kick whole handfuls of ass. Uh, can't wait to watch mm-hmm. more weird. Mike McDaniel, mic'd up moments of him talking about swag and subtweeting yes. tweeting about how George is better than Alabama did have that very sweet moment of him, you know, obviously talking about the ripple plays that he put together and all of those great things. Um,
1: I mean but Mike I just that is that is good because and I do want to spend some time with that just because Tua thought he sucked and I did too and I'm glad that whatever Josh Josh McDaniels, whatever Mike McDaniels did to to kind of McDaniel did to get that confidence back in TuA I hope other coaches are looking at that and getting inspired a little bit because it's not always just the athlete's fault.
0: No, well, I I think that it's a great point, and it's something I always say. I hope that everyone can get a coach like that at some point in their life. Like I always think, and and this is why I'll go to bat for this man forever, Harry Heastand, who's the offensive line coach at Notre Dame, outside of my father is the most impactful football coach I've had in my entire life. That man believed in me when very few other people did, And invested in me in a way that allowed me to maximize the comparatively lesser football ability I had than a lot of my peers. Like, I only had, like, I hold the 17 starts that I have at Notre Dame so close to my chest and so near and dear Mm. to me. And the last season was him giving me the tools to go do that, pushing me past that certain point, and then going to bat for me after in a way that I've talked about when I was trying to catch on in the NFL, handwriting notes to NFL offensive line coaches that he knew with a highlight tape that I had put together trying to help me get my foot back in the door in all these places. And that was a guy that coached me for one season. And that is why he Mm. has my sword and my shield. But that's the effect that a coach can have on a young person at any juncture in their career. That seems to be what Mike McDaniel has done for Tua. And I know that's what Coach Heastan did for me i love him forever for all of that and so i always just i look at what happened with tua and i see so much of that and i hope that more people get to find that along the course of whatever their career is whether that's sports or otherwise because it it, it can change your life i know it did mine in a ton of ways so and it seems like it is for tua right now also which is awesome and awesome for us because we get to watch him be great um Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is gonna benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seeds DSO-1 myself, and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it, and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road, and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed scientific board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit and Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine again with no refrigeration required. So- Oh, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25GOJO to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo. Code 25GOJO. All right, Brandon, uh, let's get to the picks. Um, Six (sighs) thick picks, uh, three college, three pro going into the weekend uh, that I give you guys. On the season, we are 32, 44, and 3. Climbing out of the cellar still that I buried myself in to start the season. Brandon Newman will be debuting his new December version of his picks. And December's a very giving season which means it's twice the fun. Brandon's stocking stuffers coming at you. Not one, but two picks the way we had Whoop. coming off of No Rut November and Brandon's spooky mm. October underdog play of the week. Uh, so I'll clear out space, Brandon, so we can get to your uh, comparatively better and more important picks. You're 5-3 and three <laughs> on the year. You're better at this and smarter than I am, and so I will let the people get to your winning ways here soon. Uh, college football for me, uh, like we said, conference championship weekend. I got USC minus 2.5, Georgia minus 17.5. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, limping into this game. And I think that is going to make this not so fun coming off a game where Texas A&M also find, managed to find offense against them. And Texas A&M, uh, less than sign Georgia for anyone keeping score at home. Uh, last one in college, uh, because I was really uncomfortable and a coward with a lot of the rest of these lines. Um like if you made me pick another one game wise, I'd go TCU minus two and a half. I think they're gonna be able to pull that off. But um, I'm going to go for this case. Will Shipley, Clemson running back over 96 and a half rushing yards. North Carolina's rush defense, bad. Will Shipley coming off a game where he had a ton of yards, averaged like 10 yards a touch, but only got like 15 touches in that game. I have a feeling Clemson is going to get the message loud and clear. I have a feeling Brandon Streeter, their offensive coordinator, is going to feed the beast in Will Shipley. And I have a feeling we are going to cruise to the over on rushing yards there. That seems like a guy destined to top the century mark if... Clemson's going to win that game. And I think they're favored by seven or seven and a half on DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, NFL-wise, Brandon, uh, Philly minus four and a half in that game against the Titans. I think the Titans are banged up in the wrong spots. Miami plus four against San Francisco. I think that game is going to be a barn burner for all the reasons we talked about. And we're going to get back on it. What Iowa unders were to my college football season, so will Detroit overs be in the NFL. Jacksonville and Detroit over 51. The Lions have gone over in three of their last five games, including uh, a bunch of points that usually get scored. Uh, at Ford Field, Jacksonville playing some of their best offensive football in this last game. So give me points. Give me points, baby.
1: I love that, Mike. I love that for you. I feel uh, I feel an unde- undefeated week for you in the picks. This, this is the vibe. That's the vibe your picks are giving off. Now to Brandon Stocking Stuffers. This is going to be easy, Mike. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time. Baltimore plus eight and a half. Against Denver Broncos. It's nut-cutting time for y'all. I, I I say this is a line that may be scary if it wasn't for the Denver Broncos. And if the Broncos cover, then the Baltimore Ravens are ass cheeks. Like mm-hmm. certified ass cheeks, the experiment of Lamar sitting out this year to get more money. I don't want to say it was a failure because he's going to take whatever money he's given to him. But like, I'll just lay up. The Denver Broncos, very bad. The Bron- the the Baltimore Ravens could be seen as very bad if they don't cover eight if, and a half points. If the Broncos, the Broncos
0: manage to cover, does this become the birthday party game? People are saying. Ooh. Galvanized it at Russ's birthday Hackett's,
1: party. Nathaniel Hackett saves his job by covering against the Ravens. Um, and then the next next pick, Mike. I'm not super sold on this, but I do like the fact that it's the Sunday Night Football game to – give some stake into this uh, first stocking stuffers game. But Indianapolis, plus 10.5 against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. I'm trying to find the words to justify it outside of the fact that I just don't trust the Cowboys to cover that big of a line regardless of how bad the team they're facing is.
0: Sometimes you don't need more even than though that, even. Brandon.
1: I was going to say, but even though they just embarrassed the Vikings and they're playing well, but I think it's a narrative thing. Like, they have no, uh, the Cowboys have a little bit of Notre Dame in, it, Notre Dame in them of playing up and down to their competition. So I'm just going to put that in the NFL uh, landscape and environment. Hopefully, it comes true.
0: Sprinkle it on there, baby. All right. Those are the stocking stuffers for the week. Uh, those are the six thick picks at Gojo Show on Twitter, uh, is where you could find us. Brandon, it is Friday. Do you know what time it is?
1: Uh, I do, Mike. I do.
0: And it's
1: it's kind of fun. It's kind of light. It's kind of foreign. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> this, that, and the third. Maspero año y felicidad. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I want to wish you a Merry. I wish you a Merry Christmas from the bottom of my heart. The and
0: the there we go Brandon's quest for uh, 25 days of Christmas songs coming up in December challenge accepted target acquired uh, kicking ass in the <laughs> early going here uh, a lot a lot more in your vocal range than Mariah Carey was yesterday I'm happy for you you don't look nearly as strained. <laughs>
1: It didn't, it didn't sound as bad on the playback, Mike, but uh, yeah,
0: it no, felt bad. No, it sounded fine. It just, the, the the strain there, it was a lot. It was a yes. lot to go first rattle out of the box, and I appreciate the effort there. So if you appreciated the effort, you, at Gojo Show on Twitter, uh, and make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon what a great job he did uh, on Christmas, this, that, and the third for the second day in a row. Brandon, let's get to this. World Cup time, uh, we had a uh, Stunner. Yesterday, uh, Japan went out there and did the damn thing. Ended up knocking out Germany. Japan gets a 2-1 win in their match. Ends up costing the Germans, who are one of the you know top teams in the tournament, getting bounced there. They're freaking out right now. They're four-time world champions. It's their second successive World Cup uh, group stage elimination. They're all freaking out. A lot of other countries wailing and gnashing teeth. Team USA just waiting quietly in the wings, getting ready to take on the Netherlands tomorrow morning, Brandon. The thing that... I want to talk about is Christian Mm -hmm. Pulisic, who says that he's meeting with the medical staff every day, he's doing everything in his power to be out there on the field Saturday, clarified in an interview or tried to. He said, Quote, I didn't get hit in the balls, I'm all right. He maintains that he got hit in the pelvic bone. Brandon, what I want to say is to quote Stephen A, we don't care. Like what you say on that front, I'm sorry, is not going to change the messaging on this, Christian. Do not run away from the nut shot heard round the world. This has a chance hey, to be an iconic rallying point. I don't want you to look this gift horse in the mouth.
1: Speaking of horses, like it if it's not the balls, maybe it was the shaft that got cut in half. Like I don't, like I, I'm, I'm taking his word for it, but I also want him to realize the, the opportunity here and serving up his midsection for this country.
0: Right. I think by also you mentioned the shaft. I think we're all required to lie about Christian Pulisic's uh, penis size going forward by at least an inch, if ever given the opportunity based on his sacrifice for America. I think that's the least that we can do. But it's a World Cup win. He sacrificed it. Exactly. Uh, God gave his toughest battle to Christian Pulisic, his strongest uh, testicular soldier (laughs) that day. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So, saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLID. Only on the DK Horse app. News the college football playoff transfer portal is uh popped up and open. And now that we have reached the postseason with conference championship weekends, we got some guys on the move. Cade McNamara, the former now former Michigan quarterback who led them to a college football playoff berth last year and ended up losing the starting job to JJ McCarthy this year, on the move and announced that he will be heading and playing his next season at Iowa. Um now on the surface. Nasty. Yeah, on the surface, it doesn't feel great based on the uh, Iowa team that we saw. Yeah. But. um...
1: Mike is. Mike is. uh...
0: Oh, I have to filibuster because Brandon has to go get his charger. Uh, So I'm going to talk about Cade McNamara and what this means for Notre Dame in the portal. Um, Because really, that's all we care about. Again, this has a chance to help Iowa out on offense. Defensively, they're so consistent year in and year out. And Cade McNamara was a quarterback that operated a run-first offense at Michigan that managed to make enough plays to help them be a part of the college football playoff last year. Wish him well. Uh, For Notre Dame, they've got to take a quarterback in the portal this cycle, I think. Yeah. Notre Dame will have Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine uh, both potentially back on campus. And while Drew Pine ended up playing good football at the end of the season, and Tyler Buckner is an incredibly talented player that unfortunately was lost to injury early in this season, I don't think Notre Dame at this juncture can afford the optics of not going out and at least trying to bring in outside competition, especially considering the type of names that are available. Brendan Armstrong, who's got, I think, 9,000 career passing yards at Virginia, has thrown his name in the portal. Hudson Card, the former Texas quarterback, uh, also in there. Michael Pratt and Devin Leary are other names. Names that people I haven't seen if they've officially put in for the portal or they're just names that people expect to be entered in there. Brandon, all of them I could talk myself into right. for Notre Dame, right? Like Devin Leary and Brendan Armstrong are the two most accomplished of those. Devin Leary kind of fits Notre Dame's kink, sort of in that mold of Jack Cohn that they saw from Wisconsin a year ago, maybe a little bit more mobile yeah. version of that. Um, I wouldn't sleep on Pratt, though. Watt, Chris Watt, Notre Dame's assistant O-line coach, was the O-line coach with him at Tulane last season, so there is a familiarity there. Brennan Armstrong is a lefty ginger who slings it all over the yard, and when he had Brandon and I at the offensive coordinator spot, did really well. I think he would be very interesting to watch in Tommy Reese's offense, and so... It's got to be one of them, though. Like, eventually, if you told me that Tyler Buckner ended up winning the job back and we got the best version of him, great. Would love to see that. But you've got to, I think, bring in outside competition because it's available to you in college football now.
1: Yeah, Mike, I just – I like Hudson Card a lot. And maybe it was what he did uh, against Alabama uh, when, when uh, Sam Ellinger went down. That's not the one. No, uh, is, is that the one? No, always yeah. get always mix them up with the one that, <laughs> that just left. Quinn Ewers, 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 yeah, Ewers. But yeah, I, I I do feel like I'm feeling a little bit of that uh, Charlie Weiss who wouldn't take transfer students for the football team. Like I, I'm feeling a little bit like ah, I just wish that we could just get that game breaker in the re- as a recruit. Like I just I understand it, but
0: it, you know, such is life. Yeah, this is this is college football now. You look at so many of the programs yeah. that are having success. They're doing so with transfer quarterbacks. Um, you know, Hendon Hooker who's, you know, a Heisman Hopel, the next in the long line of those Spencer Rattler, the quarterback that beat him at South Carolina. All the all these different things. You look across in recent years. It it's just as far as building out the depth of your roster, I think it's smart business at this point. So we'll wait and see how all that, as the portal season, uh, expects to be pretty incredible this offseason as we get into the first couple of years of this in its current form. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third, though. Um, we got a story about the Liver King getting popped by doing steroids. Mm. Um, if anyone is unaware of who this guy is... Um, Brian Johnson, who has come to fame. You may have seen him being red and jacked uh, on an Instagram story near you uh, called the Liver King. (laughs) He is someone who has... Made popular a diet trend uh, called like the Ancestor Diet. It's an ancestral lifestyle that consists of nine tenants, one of which is a primal fair diet. It basically, the tenant it's nose to tip. You eat everything: the liver, the testicles, all the shit involved in the middle of whatever animal you're consuming. And this guy has parlayed this into money and notoriety. And now, because of a man named Derek who is also in the supplement game, has never revealed his last name, and runs a YouTube account called More Plates, More Dates, um, who routinely exposes and talks about celebrities who have been using steroids, exactly how much and what kind they've been using, released a bunch of emails uh, documenting... Almost $10,000 a month spent by the Liver King on steroids over the years. Brandon, now, there hasn't been a lot of proof on the back end. Uh, Both one reached for comment. uh, Derek didn't reply, and the Liver King one asked basically said that, Um, His message has always been about the thousands of people dealing with uh, anxiety and autoimmune disorder and low ambition in life and a bunch of stuff that did not necessarily deny that he was doing steroids. It's a good reminder, Brandon, that if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and seems like a duck, it's probably on about 10 grand worth of steroids a month.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think think the receipts that I I saw was something about, a text message that got posted. So you obviously those are, easy oh, it's to it's it.
0: emails. It's a lot of emails. Oh, okay.
1: Emails. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah,
0: the guy looks like he's roided up and he was right. Like <laughs> sometimes it is that simple. If someone is right. trying to sell you something and it looks like they might be too good to be true. It probably is. But I feel like the, the,
1: the common civilian in America doesn't or might in America this isn't an American game body <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger will tell you this is not an American game but I feel like people like why can't people notice muscles that aren't gained via not like I'm, I'm having a t- really trouble t- a tough time saying this steroid muscles look like steroid muscles
0: right but if you're someone that doesn't spend as much time around this and doesn't see bodies all the time that are built by stuff other than storage, it might be hard to spot the difference. I can't even call it other than the fact that just like the you know, uh, government or the uh, Supreme Court definition of porn, you just kind of know when you see it. Yeah. And if yeah. someone's trying yeah, to no, it's, sell it's, it's you one hardline stance on how they got to a certain place, again, your antenna should go up and you should question that.
1: Yes, yes. It, it, it is a little unfortunate, though, that he's demonizing steroids because i don't want we're not
0: a podcast that demonizes steroids no. We demonize capping about yes steroid use we demonize about you selling people that eating liver and testicles is the way to get jacked yes. when you are shooting yourself up with hgh if you want to shoot yourself up with hgh that is your god-given right go be jacked and prosper i love that for all of oh, you Oh man yeah yeah not not gonna front at all on that but don't lie about it for a profit and if you do you Definitely don't get caught with your pants down like this. Uh, We hope. Yeah. We hope that uh, whether you chose to come to this podcast on PEDs or not, that you enjoyed your time here and that you're not red and jacked and getting caught up in an email scandal. If. None of those things apply to you. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Go to the DraftKings channel, subscribe there, and then check out the Gojo with Michael of Junior Playlist to see all of our great guests that stopped by this week. Charlotte Wilder, Elika Sadegi, tons of great people that gave us time. Nicole Arbach talked to college football here recently as well. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Clear.